Hello, Dr. Ricky Aronson, and welcome to another episode of Happy Healthy Ever After, a seriously humorous guide to heterosexual love, gender differences, and sex. Over the next two episodes, I'm going to give you five simple evidence-based approaches to creating lasting love and passion. These approaches are so easy that anyone can apply them to improve their relationships. Today's episode will cover some of the background principles, and we're going to have a lot of fun along the way. A popular Hollywood movie theme is that love conquers all. That's so sweet, isn't it? We love those romantic movies in which the couple goes off into the distance, hand in hand, happily ever after, as if nothing further could ever divide their love. In reality, relationships require hard work, and that starts the day you commit to one another and continues until the day you die. The sexual spark that excites us is important, but it's insufficient to maintain long-term connection. Like all worthwhile endeavors, Relationships are 10% inspiration and 90% perspiration. And by that, I don't mean the kind of perspiration that most husbands are looking for, because even maintaining a healthy, robust sex life requires hard work and commitment. And I'll come to that in later episodes. True love involves giving someone what they need, even when you derive no personal gain. Love sustains the relationship But the integrity of the relationship is equally important to sustain the love. The Harvard study of adult development is the longest running study on happiness, having begun in 1938. Unsurprisingly, one of its major findings is that happiness and health are strongly associated with the success of close relationships with spouses, friends, and family. This is supported by a large body of research that points to the fact that building successful relationships especially a marriage, is the key to a good life. Given the centrality of relationship success to human happiness, isn't it sad and disappointing that we don't teach the science of relationships to children or adults? And I guess that's one of the reasons that I'm doing these podcasts. Now, as part of the introduction to this topic, first and foremost, I must emphasize how important personal moral responsibility is to successful relationships. Because the one common denominator in all your relationships is you. Many people make the mistake of believing that the quality of their relationships is determined largely by other people and external factors. I can't find love. I can't find the right person. My partner treats me so badly. Why don't people like me? But this is not accurate. How you treat others, how you behave, will be the greatest determinant of your relationship success. And any problem in a relationship belongs equally to both partners, because something that's making one person unhappy will infect the relationship and ultimately make both of you unhappy. Life and love success is all about taking personal responsibility for your behavior and decisions. And I guess this goes much against the populist ideology, which is all about victimhood and blame. We all live in the past. We blame slavery, this problem, that problem, persecution. But actually, the only way to make a good life for ourselves is to take responsibility for our own decisions, to work hard, and to make the best of the time that we have. 
Now I'd like to introduce a topic, the science of life management. The discovery that happier employees are more productive has led to corporations investing hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars into researching what makes people happy in the workplace. Whether at home or at work, life success is all about managing people and relationships. So we can tap into the science of organizational management to make our own lives happier and more productive by improving relationships. So I do include, as part of my evidence-based approach to relationships, evidence from personnel management and the business world. It doesn't matter whether you're a doctor or an accountant or a lawyer, your success depends on how you interact with people and build relationships. So the evidence of how to make employees happy and how to build relationships in the workplace are no different to managing a family or to managing a marriage. And let's face it, marriage is as tough a workplace as any, particularly when you have to manage money, children, and staying in love. So in a workplace where the colleagues get on that well with each other isn't that important. You cannot get on incredibly well personally with some of your colleagues, but as long as you have a good business relationship, the business can work. But at home, you don't have that liberty. You have to maintain a strong, loving marriage to maintain a household. Now, you're probably thinking, ah, oh, that's, that's so unromantic. We preferred the Hollywood movie about the down-and-out prostitute marrying the dreamy millionaire and living happily ever after. Now you're comparing a marriage to a business undertaking? Well, I'm not really comparing them, and I'm not saying that a marriage is a business undertaking. What I'm doing is extrapolating evidence on how to make relationships work in the business place and saying that the same principles apply in a household because people are people, whether they're at work or at home, the same psychological principles generally apply. Like in any business, marriage must gel different personalities into an effective unit while managing money and life's pressures. After a few years of marriage, many husbands believe that they deserve a pay raise when what they actually need is a performance improvement plan. But jokes aside, the basis of sustained success in business is not a few inspired brilliant ideas like most people think, but investment in infrastructure. Companies like Apple and Microsoft have not dominated their industries for decades because of a few inspirational ideas alone. They require the establishment of a complex and robust business infrastructure, which provides the vehicle for the ongoing translation of good ideas into a financially viable corporation. So just like Companies depend on many key departments like accounting, marketing, and personnel management. So too does a marriage, which must also manage complex portfolios such as the household finances, maintenance of the home itself, and bringing up children, all the while nurturing positive relationships and morale, because as soon as everyone at home gets depressed, that infects the household and the marriage. The thrill of falling in love is powerful but long-term success depends on building a robust infrastructure that will sustain your love. Unlike in the movies, this takes time, thought, and effort. The more you invest in the infrastructure of your marriage, the better your chances of surviving the inevitable hardships that will come your way. Nobody is immune to suffering and difficulty in life, unfortunately. When the storm comes, it's the strength of the foundation and walls that you depend on. 
Romance and sex will only last while the underlying relationship remains robust. The backseat of the car will not see any further action if the vehicle has been impounded or demolished. There is a science to better relationships, and it seems a pity that so many people are never taught easy principles of relationship infrastructure, given the centrality of relationship capabilities to our well-being. Now, as an aside for wives, the problem for many women is that when they take on a husband, they discover that men require a great deal of hard work to produce a workable product. The only part of the man that works well works a bit too well and creates even more work for the wife. Perhaps this is one of the reasons why women don't always get along with their mothers-in-law. They've been sold a dad who doesn't do anything useful, and it's too late to ask for a refund. That mother-in-law should have taught her son to wash his own clothes and pick up after himself. There was false advertising because she claimed he was the greatest catch, and the wife thought she was taking on a fully trained assistant but she received only an entitled and demanding employee who believes he should be the boss. Now let's talk about creating a good business plan. The most important determinant of financial success is where you invest your money. So the first step of crafting a good business plan for marriage is to make sure you choose the correct partner in whom to invest your entire life. In the movie Pretty Woman, a prostitute and millionaire fall in love and live happily ever after. But after their initial passion subsides, if they have different values and goals, it will be difficult for their relationship to endure. Perhaps, therefore, we see so many marriages fail within a short period. They believed in the Hollywood version of romance. Choosing a partner for life may be the most important decision you ever have to make, so make sure it is an informed one. At interviews for jobs at our hospital, we always include a question about whether the applicant has values that are compatible with our organization. Dating, which is not entirely dissimilar to a lengthy interview process, should include discussions about values and aspirations. What do you want out of the future of your relationship? What are your views on children, finances, gender roles? Of course, dating adds a spicy incentive to job interviews, which don't usually reward successful applicants by inviting them in for a cup of coffee, a kiss, and uh, an early bonus. Divorce is rated as the second most traumatic life event after losing a child. Do not be a victim of your own decisions. Make sure you choose your marriage partner carefully. Take the time to get to know them. Countless couples defy advice and flush their lives down the toilet based on the premise that being in love makes relationships bulletproof, when in truth, the only thing that being in love makes people impervious to is good advice. Of course, it does help if you first define your own values and what you want out of life so that you can determine the kind of person you want to marry. Reflect on your own fundamental issues before you tie the knot. Love and romance will not conquer all in the real world. Once you are married and have children, differences become much more complicated to resolve with more severe consequences if you don't. Unity is an important determinant of relationship success, particularly when managing a family. The three biggest reasons couples fight and divorce are about sex, money, and children. So it's really important whether you're dating or you're or you are already married, to sit with your partner and find unity in your approach to how to manage sex, 
how to manage money and how to manage children. There are going to be differences in libido in couples, and it's important to talk about a mature adult approach to maintaining a healthy, positive sex life. Being united in bringing up children is incredibly important. You can't manage children successfully if husband and wife keep disagreeing on their approach. And a unified approach to your values about how you want to manage money and invest in the future. Nevertheless, not being unromantic, because many people do fall in love regardless of differences in value and ideology. They imagine that the strength of their emotions will prove sufficient to overcome any potential disagreement. Yet about one third of modern Western marriages end in divorce. It's sad to hear about all these divorcees who declared until death do us part at their wedding ceremonies. And then they are relieved that they have survived to see the back of their marriage partner. People in love believe they are special and different, but divorce often starts from this same place. Everyone's in love when they get married, and yet many people get divorced. It's useful to engage in democratic discussions about values and goals early on. And if you haven't done so, it's not too late. Start talking about these things openly now. Even if you've been married for 10 years and you're fighting, you're having difficulties in your relationship, it's never too late to start talking about goals and talking about values and coming together in a unified way to talk about where you want to go together. When you are young and in love, you have the ideal environment to forge that desired path together because it's easiest to resolve differences at a time when you share maximum goodwill. Negotiations will be more successful if conducted while in love instead of during a heated argument. Do not expect your partner to change. Past behavior is the best predictor of future behavior. As per the adage, men marry women with the hope that they will never change. Women marry men with the hope that they will. Invariably, they are both disappointed. Another important lesson we learn from business evidence is that an essential management skill is the ability to delegate roles and responsibilities to both partners. Now, firstly, often when men try to take over management, there is a lot of shouting and noise, but no meaningful action, followed by an inevitable descent into chaos and squalor. So when women order their husbands around, we call that a healthy marriage. But when men order their wives around, that often looks more like abuse. Now, I'm only joking here because stakeholder engagement is an incredibly important principle in workplace culture to promote employees feeling valued. And the same applies to marriage. Husbands and wives need to learn to consult each other, listen to each other, and value each other's opinions. Otherwise, partners feel sidelined, marginalized, and they don't feel valued. So I'm only joking a little bit about wives here because there is a certain different psychology often in marriage. And there is a good rule of thumb, which is always listen to your wife. And that's not about emasculating men at all. It's just about life preservation. Whenever I start arguing with my wife and I realize that I might be right, I apologize immediately. Now, jokes aside, women do make excellent managers for their husbands because they have a special nurturing ability to bring out the best in husbands. And it's not about emasculating men because that's bad and men should be allowed to be muscular and strong and feel heroic and shout a lot and make noise and be men. 
But at the same time, women have a special ability to refine their husbands and turn them into amazing fathers and partners. Because many husbands are prone to being a little bit distracted from some of the necessary responsibilities within the household, and they benefit from being managed by their wives within reason. The greatest moments of my life have occurred when my wife has turned to me and said, you've exceeded my expectations. For example, when we had a baby, she was amazed that such a beautiful and perfect creature could be created despite the handicap of possessing half of my genes, an opinion strongly endorsed by my mother-in-law. But getting back to roles and responsibilities, they are effective for reducing conflict in a family home because otherwise things get messed up because everyone thought someone else was going to do it and now there will be a big fight about who is to blame. When boundaries are unclear, everyone fights about who should oversee what. So each marriage partner should have assigned portfolios. For example, children's homework, putting the trash cans out, locking the doors at night. This leads to fewer mistakes and less finger pointing. The more you assign roles and responsibilities, the better the organization, the lower the error rate, and the less the fighting. Some husbands don't have a great understanding about division of duties. They perceive their main role as constantly demanding sex or asking for services from their wives. Honey, bring me my slippers, please. Darling, do you have a few minutes spare for... But managers are busy people by nature. They don't have time for disruptive employees who get in the way of productivity. Sometimes when wives try to redirect their husbands towards becoming more productive, the husbands call this nagging, but it's actually competent management from the wife. She's trying to give clear communication. Good management does not require that the same gender roles exist in every marriage. The important thing is that the infrastructure of the relationship allows both partners to develop and express their diverse talents in a manner that makes the relationship successful and both partners happy. Relationships work best when both members commit fully to the needs of the other and understand that the future of the relationship requires a greater consideration than individual selfish motivations. Developing sensitivity to the feelings of others is a lifelong human challenge, but worthwhile for relationship success. If everyone spent more time caring about the feelings of others and less time worrying about their own, the world would solve most of its problems overnight. Your partner will not feel valued if you show scant concern for their feelings. Ultimately, we lose out by being selfish because our relationships suffer, leaving us with little of value to celebrate. It's no fun blowing out all your birthday candles alone, even if you have a fancy cake. For selfish reasons, it is worth trying to become more considerate. Now, in today's episode, I've spoken a great deal about some of the background of why certain business management principles can be effectively applied in the marital home to make everyone happy, more productive, and increase morale. Next episode, I will talk about the specifics of the five simple approaches to lasting love and passion. Thanks for listening to another episode of Happy Healthy Ever After. Make sure you subscribe to the show in your podcast app so you don't miss an episode. And I'd love you to share this podcast with any friends, family, or colleagues who might be interested in the show.
The content and opinions on these podcasts are my own and do not reflect the views of my employer or affiliates. Content is not intended as a substitute for professional health and relationship advice.